0: Hi, everyone, and welcome to Ask a Coach with Ngomu. My name is Al Winant, and today I am very excited to be speaking with financial coach Jen Nash. She's also the author of 50-plus ways to make extra money or keep more of the money you have. Great tips. You can download that copy later on this afternoon by going to ingomo.com/slash slash blog, sorry. Um, And today we're going to be talking about personal debt relief, a critical issue really for many people. If you've been paying attention to lots of stuff with the news. So if you're joining us live on LinkedIn, YouTube, or Facebook, feel free to put your questions in chat and we'll see if we can address them here live. If not, we'll put them in the comments later. And if you're enjoying the show, uh, click subscribe button, click the subscribe button and uh, you'll get updates. You get notified when new shows are available. So Jen, welcome to ask a coach.
1: Hi Al. Thanks for inviting me today.
0: You're very welcome. So, I'm excited to be chatting about personal debt relief. Um, I know I've, I've joined a lot of your coaching sessions on the NGOMU app. So before we delve into that, tell me a little bit more about what made you um, go, f- you know, what's what's in your background, what inspired you really to become a financial coach?
1: That's a good question. So for most of my adult career, I was a social worker for the state of Iowa, as many of you know. Um, So between working with those families and just people I knew in general, I saw a lot of money and debt problems. But more importantly, I got a front row seat to how those money and debt problems really bleed over into every aspect of people's lives. Mm So, you know, we're talking about their relationships, their physical health, the way they sleep, the food they're able to buy. Even I saw more often than I'd care to people taking risks, some really extreme risks with things that would normally be outside the bounds of that person's morals and integrity. So it all really boiled down to, and what I saw most of all, was just the devastating mental health effects um, that even if they weren't bred solely from the money issues, they were certainly significantly exacerbated by them and made worse by them. Um... You know and i've always been very naturally skilled with money i don't know where that came from um, but i've always enjoyed sharing those skills with other people who were willing to listen and wanted to benefit from those as well so as soon as i learned that financial coaching was a thing um, and i was in the state car driving you know to one of my endless meetings and i heard it on the radio and as soon as i was like financial coach what is that and as soon as I learned it was a thing, I knew immediately that that was what I needed to be doing, that that was my true calling in life and what I really, really wanted to do. I felt like a teenager discovering that you could get a job playing video games. I was really excited. <laughs> <laughs> so
0: I know you're one of the, you know, in GoMo coaches. And before we get into the questions, we've got some great questions in here today. But before we get to that, you know, tell us a little bit about your coaching community on the N'Gome Lab.
1: Yeah. Um, so my coaching community is one, two, three year debt free. Um, what a lot of people don't realize is that there really is a strategic order of operations that's going to significantly increase the probability of reaching your financial goals and making them more permanent. And we talked a lot about that, you know, last month or the month before at our Be More conference. Um, but in our coaching community, we really anchor on those one, two, three steps to get out of debt. But we also weave in all of those wraparound topics that help support us both before and in between and after those th- three steps um, are happening. So,
0: and so thank you. And if you're interested in that, you can always find John on the Ngomo app. So look for that in the Google or Apple Play Store. So, And as I said, we've received some excellent questions from our viewers here in advance and our listeners in advance. And if you are, again, as I said, watching live on LinkedIn, Facebook, or YouTube, feel free to put your questions in chat and we'll see if we can get to those live here today as well. So note that in today's conversation, we're not offering tax, legal, or accounting advice. And then it's not a substitute for professional financial services. So I wanted to get disclaimer out of there uh, before we move on. So um, so jumping into the questions here, uh, first question from Alec in Seattle. Um, I know that getting out of debt is important for my future. I graduated last semester, have about 90000 in student debt, although you know, altogether about 110000 with credit card debt and a car loan. I'm overwhelmed and don't know where to start. What do I do?
1: Okay. So the word that sticks out to me there is overwhelm because I hear it. Um, One thing I want to mention is everybody thinks they're alone in these problems and you're very much not. This is overwhelm is a word that I hear on a daily basis several times a day. Um, And overwhelm is the enemy of execution, right? So when things get so complex and we don't know what to do, we do nothing. And that's what has happened to most of us. It's gotten so big we don't know what to do about it. And so we don't do anything about it and we let the problem grow bigger. And when, if we had handled it sooner, it maybe wouldn't have been as big of a problem as it has come to be. Um, And this just brings to mind, um, I worked with a, a gal recently who she'd been getting foreclosure notices in the mail for four months. Um, and she wouldn't even open them. She just couldn't face it. She was scared, and she was overwhelmed, and she just assumed that she had no power, so she she kept getting them and throwing them in a drawer and not even opening them. By the time she came to me, it was almost too late to save her home, but we just spent time together opening the letters and gathering the paperwork and filling out the forms. We did get everything in just in time. Um, I don't know how that's going to turn out yet, but at least she was able to um, you know, get, get it done. But the thing was, if she had opened the first letter four months ago, it wouldn't have even, it it probably wouldn't have even been a matter of foreclosure, but it's that overwhelm that makes us just kind of put blinders on and not want to deal with the problem. And then by the time we do, it's bigger than it originally was. Um, so, So overwhelm can have devastating effects. So I guess the first thing I want to say is to if you're feeling overwhelmed, please go and get somebody to help you get somebody to untangle the knot that you're working in um, because the knot just gets bigger. If you're sitting in a pit of fear or embarrassment or shame, um, the problem is just going to get bigger. So find somebody that can help you untangle that situation and break it down into smaller parts for you so that you can confidently take action on it, on the next step, at least. So um, in Alex's case, you know, he just mostly talked about debt. So a good debt elimination strategy or a plan is going to give him a concrete roadmap to follow. Um, Most Debt strategy plans, especially those of you that have been in my community know, um, start with, you know, making sure that you're not spending more than you make and then having a small emergency fund. And then and only then do you start sending those extra payments to your creditors based off of the strategy that you've selected. Um, and Alec, please know that there's multiple strategies that you can work with. There's the avalanche, the snowball and the emotional priority strategy. All of them are good. It's a matter of which one works best for you and any of them are better than none of them. So what, whichever one helps you sleep better at night, that's the right choice for you.
0: Get started.
1: <laughs> exactly. Yep, yep. Try to overcome the overwhelm. That's the biggest piece that keeps people stuck is overwhelm.
0: So true. And this is maybe a little bit alongside the same lines here from Gabrielle in North Glen, Colorado, now our neck of the woods here. What should I do about my credit card debt?
1: Yeah, great question. And yeah, the answer is going to be very similar to what we've already said. The difference here, though, um, is credit card debt. You mentioned um, that's the only debt that was mentioned. Um, So in this case, you're likely looking at very high interest debt. You know, student loans, car loans, they usually are manageable. They have reasonable interest rates, but credit card rates have very, very high interest rate. Um, I would go so far as to say they're the highest interest rate that you could have. Um, I read the other day that the average credit card interest rate was like 20% or 20.4%. But I see a lot of credit cards that are as high as 29. In fact, most of them I see are between 24 and 29%. So you want to get rid of this stuff. If it's credit card debt that's pulling you down, um, you really want to get rid of it as fast as possible because, you know, 29%, um, that means that for every $1,000 you spend, you're actually paying an extra $290 in addition to the purchase when paying it back if you were to carry that balance for a year, which a lot of people do, They're, they have those on, and it sits on their credit card and only minimum monthly payments are made, which is, is designed to basically just cover the interest and possibly a little bit more. But basically, so if I buy a TV for $1,000 with my credit card and I pay it off at the end of the month, I paid $1,000 for the TV. But if I let that $1,000 sit on my credit card for a year, now I paid $1,290 that same TV. (laughs) So this is where people, you know, people who can't afford it in the first place end up having to pay more than people who could afford it just because, just because of the way the things that are designed. So, um, but uh, Gabrielle, you'll do the same thing. Just make a plan or find someone to help you build a plan if the plan itself is overwhelming for you. Um, again, we're making sure that we're not spending more than we make, having a small emergency fund and then sending extra payments to your credit cards based on the strategy that you've selected. And I said earlier there was those main three, and all of them are great strategies. Any strategy is better than no strategy. So um, with credit card debt, in many cases, it's a way to spend more than you make. Um, so not always. Um, Is that how people racked up that credit card debt? Sometimes there's an event, sometimes there's a layoff or there's a medical issue. But if you feel like, um, you know, you're spending more than you make each month and that that's the reason or that's how your credit card debt is accumulating, then probably the best place to start for you would be a cash flow plan or a budget to balance out what's coming in and how much is going out each month. So that you're not relying on credit cards to make up for that negative discrepancy each month
0: uh, maybe a follow-up question i see there's so much in ads like you get online and maybe even on tv and so on where people are invited to transfer balances from one credit card to another credit card and not pay you know for a year or whatever it is is that a good strategy um sort of in between strategy or is it sort of like yeah.
1: stay away? <laughs> That's a great question. Um, and it's a complex question. I would say if that is a part of your overall strategy, then it can be a good idea. But a lot of times people are just using it to delay the inevitable. You also have to read the fine print very, very well. It's 0% for a little bit, but then if you don't have that paid off, it's very, very high after that. And most people most people forget that it's only 18 months or only 12 months and they're adding more to other things at the same time and they're left holding two bags, <laughs> you know? So I, I would say if you're going to do that, do so with caution and make sure it's part of a bigger, more global strategy for your overall situation as a whole.
0: Thank you, John. So a question from Myra, and hope I pronounced that correctly, in Atlanta. So I'd like to purchase a home, but have to improve my credit score. It's in the high 600s. What are meaningful tips I can use to improve my score, and how long does it take to see a score go up?
1: That's a great question. Um, if you have access to the Ngomu app, we have a session about this, so you can go and find it. Um, I think it's called Oh, look, credit. Wait, what? <laughs> I think that's what I titled it. But um, the first thing I want to note here and what I said in that uh, coaching community uh, session as well is that it's not a great idea to artificially inflate your credit score for the sole purpose of making or purchasing something that would otherwise be beyond what you're able to normally manage or, or to buy something that you really can't afford. So you maybe don't realize it, but our credit scores They do form a layer of protection between our spending behavior and the choices that we're allowed to make. So this is why um, you have to qualify with a decent credit score in order to consolidate debts in many cases, because they know that if you have a lower score, you are more likely to consolidate to kind of clean up the mess. What we just talked about was one way to do that, so to speak. Um, But then you do it all over again and you're left holding those two bags and you're worse off than when you started. So um, aside from that, though, aside from that little soapbox, the number one thing that you can do to improve your credit score is to make your payments on time. Always, no matter what. That's the number one thing you can do. Make your payments and make them on time. Um, The only time you wouldn't do that is if you're if you didn't have your four walls up. So that's a bigger problem. So if you can't put food on the table, if you don't have a place to live, obviously you're not going to prioritize your credit card payments. But if you have your four walls, you have, you know, food, clothing, shelter, and I forget what I, you know, what the other one even is, but then these need to be made consistently and on time every single month. That's the number one thing that's going to improve your credit score. Um, The second thing that carries a really big impact um, is keeping your credit utilization in check. Um, Some people don't even know what that is. Um, Basically, this is cumulative across all of your credit cards, your credit utilization. You want to keep it below 30 percent. So what that means is if I have, you know, five hundred dollar credit limit on a Discover card, a thousand dollar credit limit on a Chase card and a five hundred dollar credit limit on an Amazon card. I have $2,000 worth of credit cumulatively overall and I want to keep my usage below 30%. So, um, you know, so that's going to be what, $600, which isn't really a lot, right? If we look at what we put on credit cards, Um, this one gets me sometimes because I like to pay for all of my expenses in one payment at the end of the month. But if my credit card company is reporting my utilization in say week three or week four when my balance is higher... Um, It could be over 30 percent sometimes. Now, I have, you know, no intention of needing my credit. I don't have any big purchases in my horizon, so I don't worry about little, um, you know, ebbs and flows that way. But um, you can increase your credit limit in order to widen that gap. That's one strategy. But again, there's caution there. I would only do that if it doesn't tempt you to then use more credit as a result. If it's truly and solely a means just to widen the gap so that you can keep that utilization percentage down below 30%, then it can be a good strategy. Um, And those are just the two biggest things. There's lots of other creative things you can do to improve your credit score. Um, But I really like to encourage people to just focus on those two as part of ongoing behavior and lasting habits. Again, what we talked about back at the Be More conference, you want things to be sustainable and lasting over time, not just some quick artificial improvement as a means to an end of something. So... um, Improving your credit score takes effort and patience. (laughs) So um, she asked how long that is really uh, different, depending um, how long it takes to improve your credit score can depend on what caused the damage in the first place. So being late on a mortgage payment is going to take longer to recover from than, say, maxing out one of your cards because that just takes a bigger hit. I think I think last time I looked, being late on a mortgage payment was like nine months to repair to repair it. um, And maxing out one of your cards was um, six months, maybe three months. Three months might be the right uh, number, but. Um, one thing I've seen, if you're looking to buy, one thing I've seen becoming more popular is rent reporting or utility reporting. Um, a lot of people are using this as a way to build their credit before home buying, um, when home buying is the goal. So maybe that's something, it is a service. I believe it's a service that you or maybe the landlord pays for. Um <clears throat> But just while we're on the topic too, I want to make sure that everybody's monitoring their credit reports every year. This is free to do. You just go to annualcreditreports.com. It will not impact your score to go look at your own credit reports. Um, and believe it or not, there are mistakes on these things. So if something is being held against you, you want to make sure that it's something you actually did, right?
0: <laughs> so true. Um- I remember doing that once and saw I see four things on there going, that's not mine. <laughs> Where did that come from? Oh, so nice. that was quickly fixed. <laughs> so, um, so Josh in Santa Fe asks, I make decent money, uh, but don't really have a good understanding of budgeting. What can I do to build a budget that is, that also sets me up to have an emergency fund stuff you've talked about. Yeah. A little del- already here too.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I talk about the budget all the time in our coaching community. And I just, as part of my work it's stuff I talk about every day, but a good budget is always going to have three things. It's going to have what comes in, what goes out and what's left over. Um, if any of those pieces are missing, you're not going to have an accurate picture of say how much you can put in your emergency fund, how much is left over to put in your emergency fund. So um, a lot of people, if you've heard me talk lately, I've been talking about people are just moving money around and they don't even realize it, but they're just moving money, transferring it from place to place. And they're not making any actual progress forward. Um, And the reason for that, uh, you know, the reason they feel like they should be, but they're not is because like, maybe they're having an automatic $200 deposited into their savings account each month. So they think that I'm saving $200 a month, but they're struggling to actually build that account up because either they're taking it back out directly to cover expenses or um, they're putting those expenses on a credit card or they're using a credit card to cover the 200 that actually was needed for their monthly cash flow which is something only a budget is going to tell you. Um, So a a budget, a good budget, um, one with those three components is going to very clearly tell you whether or not that $200 was actually there for you to save in the first place. Um, and if it wasn't, it's just leaking out somewhere else. And that is happening all over the place. And that's why people feel like they're saving and they don't understand why they're not getting ahead or they feel like they're making extra payments on their credit cards, but they're really not because it, they're just, they're still going backwards every month. They're, that what's left is a critical piece because what's left over after all the monthly bills and expenses are paid, um, for some people that number is negative and they really truly are going backwards every month. And if you're not tracking things, it's very hard to know if that's happening. Um, So you're spending more than you're bringing in each month. For some people, it just evens out. And these are what we call living paycheck to paycheck. Um, But for some people and for all of us, we want our goal is to have a surplus at the end of the month. Um, so you want to work on balancing that budget so that you have that surplus because that surplus is the only piece of information that we can plug into our financial goals, whether it be an emergency fund or to make our extra de- debt payments or to save for larger purchases down the road. If you don't have that surplus there, it's just leaking out somewhere else. You don't actually have that money to be saving, making extra payments or, or funding something else. So... Um, it's a critical piece uh, of information that everybody needs to have in their budget.
0: Josh, hope that helps you. Um, Jared in San Diego asked here, so what can I do to reduce my monthly expenses and maybe find ways to make some extra money? First, get Jen's book.
1: <laughs> yes, right. <laughs> yeah, so the way he thinks, making extra money. Um, there are only two ways to balance a budget. You either got to make more or spend less. That's it. That's all there is to this equation. Right. And I always advocate and empower people to make more to make some extra money. So um, I do understand that that's not an option for some people. Um, so if that's not an option, then your only choice is to go over to the other side and see what can be reduced or moved around. So everything, that, everything balances out. Um, so I could talk all day about strategies on both sides of the budget, but I'll just give you guys a couple and say, yes, go out and grab my book. This is exactly what I wrote it for. <laughs> um, but probably one of the quickest ways to reduce, um, monthly expenses is to, uh, find a smaller cell phone provider. I think I heard you mention that he is from San Diego. So San Diego is really big. So there's gonna be tons of smaller cell phone providers for you to choose from. And your reception with any of them is gonna be pretty good. They're actually called MVNOs and I do not remember what that stands for, (laughs) but basically they're generic cell phone providers. They piggyback um, off of the towers of the big guys and they charge you a lot less. You do have to weigh the pros and cons for your area um, and for your personal convenience needs. People in bigger cities are going to get better reception. Um, I can tell you personally that my cell phone bill is $22 a month. It's only, um, (laughs) it's only two gigabytes, but I work from home and I'm always on my Wi-Fi anyway. So um, the other problem that I have is if I really go like even just 20 or 30 minutes south of me, there is a dead zone. But luckily, I don't travel there for the most part. So again, you got to take your own personal situation into consideration. Um, But the other thing I like about mine, at least, is that they don't charge if you go over the two gigabytes, they just throttle you down until your billing cycle starts over. Has anybody ever gotten a cell phone bill? It's like, oh, my God, because you didn't know you were going over and it just kept ticking away, right? and you have a big surprise. Well, that doesn't ever happen for me because even if I were to go over that two gigabytes, which I've never even been close (laughs) because I just, I don't, I don't use it very much. Um, There isn't going to be any surprises. The worst that would happen is my cell phone would run a little slower for a couple of days until my billing started over. So, um, so another so this can be a good option for people that work from home, people that don't travel a lot. Like I said, look at where you're traveling. Where do you spend a lot of time that's going to need to be taken into consideration? Um, and a lot of elderly people that don't use their phone very much anyway um, can benefit from a much cheaper plan. So um, just do a quick check on, uh, on those kind of generic cell phone options in your area. So um, another... Yes, just,
0: just, to, just to jump in, it's the MVNO means Mobile Virtual Network Operator. Okay. There you know. did, did a quick check online here <laughs> in case you want to look it up and find one in your neighborhood. So, Yep.
1: <laughs> All right. Um, and then on the other side of the budget, the preferred side of the budget, um, a quick way to make extra money, the fastest way to make extra money right now if you need it for something is to sell all that junk in your house that you don't even want or need anymore. Sell it to your friends. Sell it on the marketplace. We all have so much junk lying around. That's that's a quick one. When you need money fast, that's not a stable one where you need to bring in consistent income um, every month. You know, going forward. So um, another quick way is just to find a side gig. We all have things that we are good at that other people don't want to do, and they will pay you to do them. So find what yours is and see how you can monetize it to add more consistent income on the income side of your budget. And then, like I said, just go grab my book. There's tons of tons of ideas in there about how to reduce expenses and make more money.
0: Thank you for sharing it, Jen. And if you want that book, look for the link on our website in gomo.com blog that will be available later on this afternoon. So I um, have a, an, an interesting question from Rebecca in Brooklyn. So um, she said her parents never really educated her on money. So I had to do the best I could and learn the hard way. I want to ensure my kids don't have to go through the same. My daughters are four and six. So when and how do you suggest to start educating them about money?
1: Well, kudos to you, Rebecca, for wanting to break the cycle. (laughs) And it is never, ever too early to start educating your kids about money. There's always age-appropriate ways to teach kids about money. Um, I said you're in Brooklyn. Nothing comes to mind, um, but you can do internet searches. There's so many resources out there um, that can help teach kids about money just Google, just Google a couple of things, you'll find something. But the biggest thing I say with kids, not only have those resources, find cute books, find ways to make it fun for them. But the the best thing you can really do for your kids is, is model for them the problems, the adult problems that you're working through in your everyday life. So if you are trying to balance your budget or you're paying your bills, say some things out loud, not, not negative things, you know, right. Don't fight with your spouse in front of the kids about money or anything like that. But You know, let your kids see you working through problems or not even problems, but just weighing the options of should we do this or should we do this? And kids watching you uh, problem solve about your financial issues or make decisions about what the the resources you have available, that's going to be the most impactful thing for them as they learn. Because as you said, you know, your parents to educate you about money. Um, You know, and you don't necessarily have to sit down and formally educate either. That modeling is going to do everything you need it to do when they watch you. Uh, And and it doesn't always have to be easy, right? It's better when it's not. When they see you solve a problem or make a decision that wasn't easy, you know, that empowers them in so many ways that you wouldn't even realize. Um, And I always say, you know, the best legacy you could ever leave your kids is not giving them money, um, but teaching them how to make their own.
0: Thank you, Jen and Rebecca. I see that you're talking about two daughters, two girls. Um, I, as a supporter of Girl Scouts, uh, let me suggest you check out Girl Scouts because they have they're quite a nice financial literacy program. So check that out in your neighborhood. I'm sure there is a troop in your neck of the woods as well. So nice. um, give it a, a, g- check that out. So, um, Jen, as we're wrapping up here, before we get into the ten questions. Um, Wanted to see what the three takeaways are, and and first, thank you for sharing all of this with with our viewers, our listeners today, and our on demand people later on. But um, share with us what are the three takeaways you want to leave our uh, viewers and listeners with today.
1: Um, well, just to wrap up what we've kind of always been talking about or er, talking about today, I guess I would say. Um, number one is just find a budget tool that tells you what you need to know in order to make the decisions that you need to make. Um, broad overarching, avoid spending more than you earn each month, uh, would be number two. And then number three, if you have debt, just make a plan. Don't be afraid of the numbers. They're just pieces of information that are giving you feedback about what your next steps should be.
0: And anything I should have asked you today, but didn't.
1: Um, Not so much as asked, I guess, but just a concept of, um, you know, there's so so much unmentioned and untalked about shame and feelings of inadequacy when it comes to money and especially when it comes to debt. So to circle way back um, from when we were talking about dealing with those mental health issues, um, those are much more impactful when it comes to money behavior. Um, you may have heard me say before that money is not a math problem, it's a story problem. Yeah. The story is very strong in all of us, um, and it's where it all started for most of us with our parents and our teachers and our peers. But eventually that judgment, and the worry, and the fear, and the shame, and the excuses, they're not actually coming from the outside world anymore, they're coming from inside of us, and so that's why when you need, uh, that's why you need an outside person to help, like a coach.
0: Thank you for sharing, and for everyone watching and listening, you are listening or watching Ask a Coach with Gomo. My name is uh, Wynant and today I'm speaking with financial coach Jen Nash. So Jen, let's move into our 10 questions, rapid fire style questions. So I will ask you the question and I just love you to jump in here. So um, what did you want to be when you grew up?
1: A doctor, a psychiatrist, most specifically.
0: <laughs> What's the worst thing you ever spend money on? That I ever
1: spent money on? Oh.
0: <laughs> or the worst thing to spend money on, maybe. That's that's how the question is really phrased. Oh,
1: <laughs> the worst thing to spend money on is interest charges and late fees. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, I'm interested in finding out the first question, but I'm not going to. <laughs> if you could go back and give your 18-year-old self one piece of advice, what would it be?
1: If I could go back, I would tell myself to start my own business and my self growth journey right now, because I spent a lot of time in the corporate world. And I, if I knew then what I knew now, life would look so much different for me right now. I'd be so much farther ahead than I am, but no.
0: (laughs) So what is your, what does your morning routine look like?
1: Um, get the kids ready and off to school. That's it. And then when they're all gone, then I have my coffee and turn on my computer and start to work.
0: I always like it when you come to your coaching community with your big cup of coffee. <laughs>
1: yes, it's much needed after most of my mornings.
0: <laughs> if, if you could have coffee, to speak of coffee, with any historical figure, who would you
1: choose? Ooh. Uh, any historical figure. Um, Napoleon Hill. He wrote uh, Think and Grow Rich, and literally nobody really knows what it means. And I would just ask him. <laughs> <laughs> so
0: talking about money, if you want 10 million bucks tomorrow, what would you spend it on?
1: That's mm. easy. I would spend it on a new home. Um, I would invest some of it. But my big, huge goal when I'm a billionaire is to have free food for all the kids in my community. Um, breakfast and lunch, 365 days a year, no matter household income status.
0: Wow, that's nice. Can you share with the audience your three must-read books?
1: Yes. Well, of course, there's 50-plus ways to make more money or keep more of the money you have. <laughs> um and then Money Master the Game by Tony Robbins is very insightful. It's going to save you a ton of money if you're looking at the investment side of things. Um, I would also say maybe don't read that. Listen to it instead. It's a monster of a book. So <laughs> it can be very intimidating, but it has got a lot of good information in it. Um, and then third, I guess it would just be any leisure book that you enjoy because I feel like reading is such a, an enjoyable pastime. So just something you enjoy so that you can read.
0: What's the one thing you do every day that adds to your success?
1: Um, I keep a journal and it's called Every Day. And every day I just write in something, even one thing that I did for my business so that I can make sure that I'm always moving forward in my business. Because if we always just take those small, consistent steps every single day, we know we're moving in the right direction.
0: Who's been your most important professional mentor?
1: (laughs) Um, I would say Tony Robbins. I listen to a lot of his, or I, I do a lot of his. Um, I don't know what's called virtual events, um, and he. I, I mostly focus on the money side of things, but he's got a lot of cool stuff to say about life in general. So yeah, Tony Robbins.
0: And please finish this statement. Leadership is
1: um, leadership is understanding who you're guiding. So that you can match your leadership style um, with what they need to put their best selves forward.
0: Thank you, Jen, for sharing. I appreciate you today. Um, share with our audience what the best way is to get a hold of you, should they wanna connect with you, work with you. What's the best place to do that?
1: Um well I mostly accept um connections on LinkedIn um unless you look a little too spammy then I might not but <laughs> you never know with LinkedIn anymore but that can be a good way if you have a professional you know reason otherwise just go to my website um pricelessfinancialcoaching.com there's a contact me page there's services there's my service page um that's got all my resources on it um and just yeah everything you would need to know would be on my website at pricelessfinancialcoaching.com
0: and is your LinkedIn under your name or your business name?
1: Um, I use, I have one under my business, but I mostly use mine. So Jen Nash, Jen Nash,
0: just in case if you need the spelling of it. <laughs> so <laughs> on the screen. So Jen, thank you so much for uh, for joining me here today and for sharing with our audience. Um, we will see you again next week, Monday at 1 p.m. Mountain Time, and we'll be having a conversation with wellness coach Stephanie Braden with a conversation really geared towards personal trainers coaches and wellness. So thank you everyone for being here today. I look forward to seeing you next week.